I'm Samantha B. Welcome to my podcast, Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. So, funny thing happened on the way to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's inauguration. Donald Trump has decided to just, like, not leave the White House. The results of this election are clear, at least to leaders from around the world, the majority of the public, every single news organization, even Fox News. But he's just not accepting the results. I don't know if it's because the White House bed is super comfortable or the McDonald's around the corner gives him extra barbecue sauce or because he's afraid of the lawsuits that await him in the real world. But it's certainly uncharted territory, which is a phrase I never want to hear or say again after 2020. So how do we rise above this? We keep promoting factual reporting that no one listens to. We keep continuing to celebrate Trump's defeat, which they do not accept. And we remain vigilant about crucial upcoming races like Georgia's Senate runoffs. And of course, we make time for some self-care, which is what this podcast is all about. On this show, I take off my makeup, I pull up my jorts, and I have just like a nice conversation with a person I actually really like. I'm joined by my producers, Adam Howard and Svea Baron-Reinstein. Okay, podcast gals, we're about to go on Thanksgiving break. What are you guys feeling thankful about in this unpredictable lame duck period? What are we thankful <laughs> for? Well, I feel like you said the first part. We're thankful that it's a lame duck period. Yeah. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I'm thankful that all the Trump kids are going to have to find a new grift in the new year. Oh, God. I It, it makes me think of, that question makes me think of this time in one my youngest daughter was in preschool and they were like sending around like these leaflets. They were like, what are you thankful for little children this Thanksgiving? And she wrote, I am thankful that we have two sofas. (laughs) It's very honest. I'm also thankful that we have two sofas. I need to stretch president. I will say I've been very grateful for Joe Biden's sort of uh, confidence and calm in the face of this attempt to steal the election from him it's i'm sure he's going to screw up a lot of things in the future but this what he's doing now is definitely working for me me too it's coming yeah just feel like i want him to be like more of an asshole (laughs) i don't know like he's being too calm do you think so i'm not sure what that's getting us anymore (laughs) do you want him to like you want him to like be you want him to be like get the fuck out of (laughs) here i do go full biden is what (laughs) you want you you want 2008? <gasps> yeah, right. I at least want like Jill. To do that. <laughs> well, I think it's very wise. I mean, if it's if it's a strategy to not get riled up, here. I don't know. I, there's just something so unsettling about. I mean, obviously, the whole thing is so unsettling, and I definitely am personally. I think I'm in Adam's camp here. I'm like, <laughs> I'm personally much more calmed by the fact that he's like. This is all nonsense. Right, right. We're moving forward. We're actually getting making lists of great people. We have forty three hundred <laughs> names of great people to fill four thousand. There's spots. so many better like, people than the people that are there now. There's so many. We're gonna. Don't worry, people. Don't worry. We're gonna fire everybody <laughs> on day great. one, and we've got all these people. We have their resumes. We know them. They come from great. Like it's like he's. I don't know. Maybe this is. Maybe this is me and how I um, 
have ingested the patriarchy, yeah. but he just like, I'm like, yes, yeah, be like a wise yeah, grandpa. Soothe me. Yeah, there's something very caring about it. I also, don't know. if I can be cheesy, I'm very thankful for the two of you. I feel like this whole podcast oh, experience has been you may. wonderful and such a nice treat amid coronavirus and all the crazy. Oh, this has always been such a yes. fun thing to do. So thanks to you two. Oh, my God. Well, I have to thank you both. <laughs> and I have to thank Julia. And I thank Philip. And I thank you both. This is just like... It really is a pleasure doing this. I love doing this. It's very pleasurable to have relaxing conversations. Just kind of like work stuff out. I, <laughs> I like it. I feel like we should say that this is our last episode for a little bit, but we'll be back yes. in, the, in the new year with mm -hmm. more very exciting guests and oh. witty conversation. Witty conversation, the repartee. <laughs> We have to take a quick break, but we have John Favreau coming up, and you're going to want to stick around after that, because I'll be making some bold predictions about the new year. So don't go away, because I have some hand-picked ads, and they're coming up. They're just for you. Joining me today is a former speechwriter turned podcasting powerhouse, John Favreau. Besides sharing a name with the guy who created The Mandalorian, John has been a veteran speechwriter since 2004 and was President Obama's first director of speechwriting. Since leaving the Oval Office, John helped launch the wildly popular Crooked Media Empire and is a co-host of its flagship podcast, Pod Save America, which began after Trump lost the popular vote <laughs> the first time. And while he's entrenched in the left, he's also done some fact-finding around the country with his sideshow, The Wilderness, to find out what voters of all stripes are thinking. Imagine that, not relying on polls. John also co-founded Vote Save America, which did crucial get-out-the-vote work for the presidential election and continues to do important work with their Adopt a State Georgia campaign. Oh, he makes me seem so lazy. I can't think of anyone who can make better sense of the crazy moment we're all living in. Welcome to the show, John Favreau. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm, very, I'm the one who's appreciative. Okay, should we just get into it? Can we do that? Can we just Let's start? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's start at the most obvious point. Like, I, okay, I expected... The president to be an, a sore loser. I fully anticipated that he would be a sore loser and so awful about this. But I can honestly say that I did not expect that so many people would ride that train along with him. Can you believe what is happening? Please make me feel better. Uh, <laughs> I I have to say that I am not surprised. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I like because, it. Like, like delegitimizing our elections mm -hmm. and and throwing out conspiracies about voter fraud is one of Donald Trump's like very favorite things to do. Sure, he, you know, we all know of Donald Trump in a political context mm -hmm. because he said that Barack Obama wasn't a legitimate president when Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucuses. Donald Trump said he committed voter fraud when Donald Trump won the 2016 election. Yes. He said that Hillary Clinton committed voter fraud because a bunch of undocumented immigrants voted, which wasn't true. Donald Trump welcomed help in the 2016 election from the Russians. Mm -hmm. So he like so like at every step of the way sure. he's done this. And I also think I mean, look, there are a bunch of 
polls and of course we can talk about uh how much to trust polls at this point Mm -hmm. but there's a bunch of polls saying that you know most of donald trump supporters don't believe that joe biden legitimately won the election Mm -hmm. but then there's also a poll that said like only three percent of the country actually thinks trump did one so you have a bunch of trump supporters who are who think there was fraud who believe his conspiracies about that but they actually unlike trump know that trump lost and that joe biden won I just didn't expect so many people. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why I still have the capacity to be shocked, but I am shocked that, like, I Mike Pompeo is awful, but he awful. has no business speaking this way or quote unquote joking or driving this message forward. And I guess that's the part that I didn't completely expect. I didn't anticipate that to the extent. You know, I that it's I have been. I have spent like a decade now being uh, disappointed with Republican Boy. actions. I remember being with Barack Obama uh, on the 2012 reelect and Obama saying to me, you know, if we win this one, I think the fever will break mm-hmm. among the Republicans and they'll start acting responsibly, not out of the goodness of their hearts, but because they'll think we can't win elections if we continue to be this crazy. Right. And then... They were that crazy, and they won in 2016, and so, you know, now we're off to the races. I also think they, like, they created a monster, and the monster is not necessarily just Donald Trump. It's a right-wing media ecosystem. It's yes. the Murdoch empire. Mm-hmm. It's all of that. And so all of their voters are consuming information that none of us consume. <laughs> is this, I yes, this is our... The, the, the fractured information systems that we are living under are, I mean, what do we, how do we, how do we solve for that? I mean, can you and I just figure it out and then we'll just disseminate this information? We'll just tell everybody what to do? Like, literally, yeah, how well, do we do that? <laughs> we are in two different information streams. Like, I don't know what they're really going on about. I know that I'm some version of their Ann Coulter. <laughs> That's what I've been right. told. <laughs> Fine. Well, but that's a like that's the thing too is it's not even I mean if you if you poll Democrats and independents mm-hmm. and even some Republicans about their news sources it's a pretty diverse universe of news sources mm-hmm. you got people who read the Wall Street Journal you got people who read the New York Times you got people who watch CNN they yep. watch their local news they watch network but when you poll Trump voters it's like all Fox all the time or right. the reach that Fox has on Facebook right. or all of this crazy shit that we have on YouTube now that Mm -hmm. uh, is taking people down rabbit holes into very dangerous places. Mm -hmm. So their universe of information is much narrower than ours and much less sort of ideologically diverse than ours, which is a real problem. But it's, it's like, you know, there's a, there's a, whole series of issues here. There's the decline of local news, right? So now that you don't have your local newspaper and now that your local news television channel is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, which Mm -hmm. is another right-wing corporation, then um, suddenly all your news comes from Fox or comes from Facebook. And so there's just, there's fewer sources of news that people can turn to. And a lot of very wealthy Republicans and conservative donors have bought up a lot of media outlets Mm -hmm. and, and turned them into propaganda machines. And no one on the left has really done that. I mean, we're, you know, we have we have crooked media. We're mm-hmm. we're trying to to grow and expand. We hope there are more crooked medias. Right. right <laughs> I would, I would right. welcome more competition. I would welcome more media outlets doing this. Mm-hmm. But it's um 
it's tough. It's right. it's I, I think we need to we need to sort of grow the progressive media ecosystem. And I think we also need to figure out a way to play in the same you know, we, we need to compete with these guys on, you know, if you look at Facebook, like the top 10 shared, most shared stories on Facebook on any given day are right-wing lunatics. Right. And we need to figure out how to way to game that algorithm so that there are more mainstream news sources and stories being shared on Facebook. And we need to figure out how to game the algorithm on YouTube as well. And then we need to figure out what kind of supplements that we want to sell. You know what I mean? Like what type of beat? We need to get into, we need to get into gold. Beat we need to pills, get into <laughs> just you know, bed frames that conceal your firearms. There are so many <laughs> options. This is, yes, um, this is uh, this is the challenge. Are you at all concerned that Joe Biden won't get sworn in on January 20th? Is there any tiny part of you that is concerned about that or I I am not. Um, I went down a rabbit hole this week because like everyone else, Mm -hmm. uh, everyone in my universe, all my liberal friends, family members, relatives were, you know, sending me the Barton Gelman Atlantic piece and all these long things about how Donald Trump is going to stage a coup and all that. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I think it's important to take seriously. You put nothing past Donald Trump and the Republicans at this point. You do not have blind faith in our institutions at this point, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't do that. But where I feel comforted is that we have Democrats in the right positions to stop such a thing from happening. So, like, for example, there's this concern out there that Republican state legislatures are going to just send uh, a bunch of Trump electors to Congress. And, right. and you know, they're going to over. In truth, Republican state legislatures don't have a role in certifying the election results that the secretaries of state do and Mm -hmm. the governors do. And in at least Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, which is enough to add up to 270, we have Democratic secretaries of state and we have Democratic governors. If for some reason, the Republican legislature decided to just break the law and send Congress a slate of electors, Nancy Pelosi controls the House of uh, Representatives and she plays a role in accepting or rejecting dual slates of electors. In addition... We now have a majority of senators uh, who have congratulated Joe Biden on winning and recognize him as the president-elect. So all of that stuff, and we should not uh, forget the fact that Donald Trump has lost every single legal challenge. (laughs) So so even though Mitch McConnell has like done a good job stacking the courts (laughs) with right-wing judges, even their conservative judges have not given Donald Trump any wins on the legal challenges because they're so absurd. So I actually, that, that is, I have, I have a lot of concern about the months and years to come Mm -hmm. and, and, and our democracy in general, but I do not have a concern about Donald Trump staging a coup at this point. Right. I mean, it is, preposterous that we're even saying the word coup (laughs) i mean this is crazy but okay who's gonna pay a price for this anyone ever is any republican ever gonna pay a real price for even getting us to the point where we could use the word coup i mean they have bungled covid and they won seats in congress like what is happening this second yeah. wave of this disease is unbelievable. We're not even, it's not even the, it's barely the top news story. It's, it, it's infuriating. Like I stop and think about it for a couple minutes and I get too angry to keep thinking about it right. because we have this third 
horrendous wave of COVID. And the reason it's not getting more coverage is because we have to cover the potential oh, coup. Yes. <laughs> you know, oh. so that's no, but I mean, look, uh, will they pay a price? Like we have to make them pay a price. That's it. That's the only, that's the only option we have. We have to just beat them at the polls um, because they have learned from four years of Donald Trump mm-hmm. that Donald Trump's Donald Trump's magic is not some political skill. Donald Trump's magic is shamelessness, right? right? He doesn't. Yeah. He has no shame. And so Republicans look at him and they're like, well, he doesn't really have shame. It got him pretty far. So I don't need to have shame either. And I think in some of them in like who are ensconced in really safe districts or safe states because the electorate is overwhelmingly Republican, then they're going to continue to be horrific people Mm -hmm. the ones who are in competitive districts and competitive states you know then we can make them pay a price at the polls a key pillar of biden's pitch to voters is that he has relationships and he Mm. has experience negotiating with republicans but you know only really a handful of them have accepted his victory outright how is he supposed to literally how is he supposed to work with these people when we have like Marjorie, what's her face, you know, who's like, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm telling all my staffers not to wear masks. Like, how do you, I, yeah. how are we Our doing QAnon. this? Yes. <laughs> it's a great question. They're like, look, I mean, this is what Obama faced yeah. our first year in the White House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, Mitch McConnell said that, you know, the most important goal was to make him a one term president. And they decided, and it was smart of him politically mm-hmm. to decide, like, if I can gum up the works and make sure that Obama doesn't pass much, then voters who don't like gridlock in Washington will say, well, why didn't Barack Obama figure out a way to break the gridlock in Washington? And they'll punish him for it. Right. And I would imagine that Mitch McConnell tries to do the same thing with Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden will try his best. And, you know, he has... You know, this is an, we spent four years being infuriated by Susan Collins and Lisa mm-hmm. Murkowski. Yeah. Now that now that they're there for you know six years, and mm. uh, you know maybe they maybe Joe Biden finds a couple votes from them on some things, and then you know he's got the Democratic, he's got forty eight senators. Otherwise, unless of course we win in Georgia, right? If we right. if we win the two seats in Georgia, suddenly the whole the whole game has changed. Is that the only workaround when it comes to Mitch McConnell? I mean, that's it. It, that's is, the whole, it is pretty, yeah, it is pretty game. much the only workaround. And then, you know, aside from that, Joe Biden can issue a ton of executive orders and, mm-hmm. and he, look, he can undo a ton of Donald Trump's damage. Yes. And that's not a, you know, that's not a small thing. For four years, all of the worst moves on immigration happened, not because there was a single piece of legislation passed in Congress, but because Donald Trump did it all himself by executive order. So right. all of the damage on immigration can be undone. The Muslim ban can go away. We can rejoin climate. You can do a lot on climate through executive action, which is good. Yeah. Um, you can, you know, Elizabeth Warren proposed uh, the other day that via executive action, you can forgive $50,000 worth of student loan debt. Uh, so there's a lot he can try with executive action. Okay. Um, now that will be subject to, you know, will the courts strike some of it down? And of course we have a sure. conservative court, so that's not great either. <laughs> but yeah, this is stop bad shit from happening, undo a lot of the damage from Trump and do whatever you can with executive action and then hope that you can pick off a few of the less crazy Republicans in the Senate to pass Mm -hmm. legislation. That's basically where we are. Busy first week. 
busy, 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 busy. (laughs) Oh, what do you what do you think is behind all the dramatic personnel changes that Trump has been making in like the Defense Department and Homeland Security? What's why? Why now? What is going on? I mean, it's, uh, you know, after four years of this, a lot of it is sort of Occam's razor with Trump, right? It's just like, he's a moron, he's vengeful, he's small, he's petty. He has not been very successful at organizing a coup. He's not very successful at organizing anything. (laughs) No. So, like, I do think he, you know, he probably thinks that some of these officials were insufficiently loyal to him and he wants to fire them on the way out. There's also a possibility that... There's some corruption that Trump's trying to cover up on his way out so that it's not uncovered. I've heard people speculating about that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't really I don't really know how cover ups happen. I only know how they happen in movies. And just oh, yeah. like trucks that pull up with a, that are just a giant shredder. Like I don't know. I'm not I mean, a good I don't, spy. I don't I don't imagine that any kind of cover up from Donald Trump is necessarily more sophisticated than that. <laughs> <laughs> just burn so, the whole White House down. It's just tainted. I have heard that on the on the CIA front, you know, he's he's thinking about firing the CIA director, yeah. who of course he hired, and that may have something to do with he wants to declassify some intelligence, of course, selective intelligence that may make his his view of the Russia scandal look a little bit truer, even though it's not. Right. So the, you you take you, you cherry pick some intelligence, you declassify it, and then you say, oh, Russia didn't really interfere in 2016. See, I told mm-hmm. you. Which is a crazy thing to be doing four years later, but it just goes to show you like what is on his mind, right. which is not much and always has to do with himself. Terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that I made you try to go into his brain. Like, God, I wonder it's what a, he... I mean, you, look, you and I have both been trying to do that for like four I years. It's, it's not very fun, but you get used to it. It is <laughs> like listening in on a really large seashell, I imagine, with just a lot of self-regard. I don't know. A lot of, Maybe it's just like a constant string of self-criticism and self-doubt. I don't know. Aren't, aren't you like, aren't you exhausted just how much space he occupies in your mind oh. all the time? I listen. I grew up in Canada, and I was a teenager. <laughs> like, I, mean, I didn't like, ask for this shit. You know, I didn't. I but even I knew reading. You know, reading Spy Magazine, like in my early twenties, just like laughing at Donald Trump jokes in this like super funny magazine that probably shaped who I am. You know, comedically, t- somewhat, yeah. and always thinking of him as this stupid asshole <laughs> from abroad. And now I came here and. 30 years hence have to think about him every day it's unthinkable really yeah like i don't know what i I mean uh, you know the 2011 correspondence dinner yes we you know we love it and 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 me and and judd apatow helped with that Uh too and oh and obama and so funny we finished the next day we're like well we got bin laden and we got donald trump (laughs) we won't be hearing from him again anytime soon oh my god (laughs) does that wake you up in the night sometimes you're like holy shit this can't be i mean it's 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 probably why i'm it's probably why i'm doing this today (laughs) just (laughs) still trying to make up for that just a redemption tour years and years oh brutal okay well which member of the trump administration are you most excited to see gone (laughs) oh that's good i mean there's like the 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 petty ones are like 
hate Jared, hate Don Jr., hate yeah, Ivanka, right? Sure. But like, I think for the sake of the country, I'm most excited to see Bill Barr leave because yes. I think he is like the most dangerous person in the government right now. I do too. And I'm so curious what you think he's up to right now. Like, I, I mean, it's speculation, I guess, but he's really proven himself to be evil person bad guy evil evil and you hear from you hear from u.s attorneys and mm. people in the justice department and you know career people and prosecutors that he has just i mean the idea that the that the uh, justice department is supposed to be independent mm-hmm. he has just completely smashed that norm and is just using it as a weapon to both you know protect donald trump and his friends and right. punish their enemies and i think if Donald Trump had won a second term, absolutely they would have just started going after people from the Obama administration, from mm-hmm. Democrats in Congress, yes. just, you know, CEOs that pissed them off, companies that pissed them off, the media. Like, mm-hmm. I really, I, I'm not big on, you know, buying into a lot of conspiracy stuff, but I'm pretty confident that would have happened. I feel the exact same way. I think that it would have just, they would have just gone down there, the lists of people that they've been making, enemies lists, and ruining their careers, tying them up in lawsuits, bringing them up on charges. Like, I just saw it as clear as a bell, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Bill Barr, yeah. I'm excited to see Stephen Miller go. Oh, I need that guy to that exit. fucking guy. Get the hell out. And Betsy DeVos. And it just he Betsy DeVos oh, horrible. Stephen Miller is just like, I mean, you know, white nationalist, mm-hmm. horrible person. Also just as a former speechwriter, really shitty speechwriter. Yes. Not <laughs> just like no. there's the writing itself. Mm-hmm. Is, I know that's like a second order problem since his, the first order problem is that he's a horrible racist, but like <laughs> Also, it's just offensive how bad the writing is, you know? <laughs> He's dragging everybody down. Please. Dra- he, really, he really is. It's an embarrassment. Think of the speechwriters. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I guess on the same subject, a lot of people in the media are encouraging Democrats to reach out to Republicans and extend that kind of, that olive branch. I don't particularly want to. I guess that's how the world works. I mean, I'm tired of Democrats being told to be the bigger person and really, and of Democrats really ingesting that message. Because I think that we do ingest that message in a way that they don't. Why is it always on us to make things better? I mean, it's funny that that message, uh, you know, where where people are telling us to to reach out to Republicans Mm -hmm. as Republicans are... Trying to stage a coup. Trying to stage a coup, a janky, <laughs> like, janky like, coup. At what point do we? At what point does the healing begin? Yeah, <laughs> when, when they're refusing to reckon. Yes. I mean, look, the way I see this, I've always tried to separate Republican politicians from potential Republican voters, mm-hmm. and I do not think that Republican politicians deserve anything. They, at this point, do not deserve our respect. The Mm -hmm. fact that they are refusing to acknowledge the results of an election and recognize the president, the fact that they have stood by Donald Trump through all of the horrors of the last four years, like, they don't, we don't owe them anything. Right. I think, I I look at Republican voters as a math problem, not as a, like, uh, let's all hold hands and be friends again. Okay. Because... 
You know, one thing we saw in this election, it was it was much closer in the swing states mm-hmm. than it should have been. I mean, the Electoral College is garbage. We always knew that. But the fact that, you know, Joe Biden's going to win by the popular vote by north of five million votes. Yeah. And yet, if you take the three closest states, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Georgia, mm-hmm. Joe Biden won by a combined 50,000 votes, which means that if 25,000 people voted the other way, Donald Trump is president. We, had right. a two, we would have had a 269, 269 tie if right. those states went the other way. Mm-hmm. So 25,000 people is not a lot of people. No. And we had the biggest Democratic turnout in history. Joe Biden, Joe Biden, old, white, moderate Joe Biden, Turned out more Democrats than any president in history, including Barack Obama twice, mm-hmm. and yet almost lost in the swing states of Donald Trump because Republican turnout was so incredibly high. Right. And for us, yes, we need to turn out even more Democrats next time, and that involves voter registration, and that involves talking to our base and getting more people excited to vote. We need to do all that. Mm-hmm. But at some level, this was a victory that occurred because of persuasion. Joe Biden, it wasn't a big number, but Joe Biden persuaded a decent number of people who voted for Donald Trump to vote for him. Right. And like, now, you know, like I said, it wasn't very large, but in a small election where 25,000 people go the other way and suddenly you have a different result, that matters. So I try to think about not necessarily like extending Trump voters an olive branch, but like right. how do we get just enough of these people to vote for us next time so right. that we're not back in the same situation we've been in the last four mm-hmm. years? Mm-hmm. Do you think that we have the attention span to actually do something about the Electoral College or are we going to forget about it like on January well, 21st? <laughs> <laughs> just, the what? Well, the problem is, the, you know, this, this is the problem with all of these we have a number of structural challenges to having a, a, a well-functioning multiracial democracy in this country. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem is to change any of those structural impediments, you need big majorities in Congress and you need the White House. Right. And so there is no change in the Electoral College, certainly not with a Senate that's controlled by Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so now you have like the... Uh, you know, interstate compacts where different state individual states can decide that they're going to award their electors based on who wins the national popular vote. And so a bunch of states have signed up for that. So you could go state by state and try to do that. Uh-huh. And hopefully that like, you know, I think we're a few states away from that possibly happening. So I think that's one route to get rid of the Electoral College. It's sort of a backdoor. But, um, you know, whether it's the filibuster, whether it's gerrymandering, all of this shit to get rid of it, you need you need to win first. Right. Well, okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about Georgia. Why don't we talk about yeah. Georgia? Okay, so Vote Save America, you did incredible get-out-the-vote work for the 2020 election, but it's not over because we've got these two Senate runoffs. Okay, you've got two strategic funds through VSA that people can donate to, but can you tell us about those strategic funds? Tell us yes. all about them. So you go to votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia. Uh-huh. And if you go to um, votesaveamerica.com slash getmitch. So we have our Get Mitch okay. or Die Trying Fund, which was our fund for all the Senate candidates in 2020. Now it is a fund that will just split your donation evenly between John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, who are the two Democratic candidates in Georgia. And then if you go to votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia, you can adopt Georgia like we had an Adopt-A-State program for the battleground states mm-hmm. in 2020. And if you adopt Georgia, what does that mean? We will send you 
emails and uh, information about how to volunteer remotely. And then you can also contribute to a fund that helps grassroots organizers who actually have been on the ground in Georgia, the people who have been doing the work, Stacey Abrams' group, Fair Fight. There's a whole bunch of other grassroots groups in Georgia that have done fantastic work that helped turn the state blue. And uh, you can donate to them as well. So that's that's sort of our, our Georgia play. How do you think voters in Georgia are feeling right now? Are they like, oh, God, I thought it was over. Oh, leave yeah, us alone. They must be so fatigued. Please go away. I want my television back. I don't. I want my. I want my old boring commercials back. Right. Instead of these I guess, terrible political ads. What is the strategy? Like, how does that work? I mean, all eyes to Georgia now. All mm-hmm. coastal elites to Georgia. Assemble the troops. <laughs> yeah, right. Money is pouring in. All the celebrities are involved. But like, how does that impact people on the ground? Does it turn them against the whole process? Well, we we inv- we um, interviewed Stacey Abrams on Pod Save America yesterday, uh-huh. and Dan, Dan Pfeiffer asked her this question, and she's like, "You know, people can definitely help remotely. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> you can definitely like send your money, but like we don't necessarily need people coming to Georgia. Don't rent all the Airbnbs. Okay? Yeah, we don't we don't need like a a, a celeb." parade in georgia oh we don't need a drum circle in the town square okay all right do without that perhaps (laughs) but look it's i mean the thing with georgia is the votes are there we know that because joe biden just won it yeah but it's tough because both candidates both john ossoff and his race against purdue and then you know it Mm -hmm. was a bunch of democratic candidates and republican candidates in the special republicans won more votes in those two races than the Democrat. Mm-hmm. They just didn't hit go above 50, which is why we're headed for runoff. Right. So there's there's some people who voted for Joe Biden but didn't vote for John Ossoff or, or Raphael Warnock. Right. And we have to figure out sort of how to get those votes in January. Yeah. How do you? Do you know how? I don't know how. I don't. <laughs> like, what is I mean, the secret ingredient? Is it? You know, it, it, special elections are interesting because they are very unpredictable because you don't know what kind of electorate turns out mm-hmm. right so you you can pretty much you can make an educated guess about what kind of electorate turns out in a presidential election because you have past presidential elections to give you sort of a guide to that and same thing with midterms to an extent but a special election that just happens one it's a one-off you don't really know and sometimes they're very low turnout and sometimes they're pretty high turnout there's a lot of attention there's going to be a lot of attention on this one so perhaps it's it's higher turnout i think the question is does donald trump go down there you know there was incredible republican turnout in in georgia in 2020 because donald trump was on the top of the ticket maybe we get lucky and that sort of dies down a little bit now that trump isn't on the top of the ballot but then we have to make sure on our side that everyone is just as fired up uh, on the democratic side as they were in the presidential election in georgia right i feel like stacy's gonna have to go door to door like door to door to door that's the only way she could flip anyone if we could only clone Stacey Abrams oh. and just have a Democratic Party full of Stacey Abrams, we would be um, <laughs> we would be in power uh, in a big yeah. way. I mean, the stakes are so high; the stakes could not be higher for the country. They, 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 they literally. I mean, it's the a world in which Joe Biden has the Senate versus a world in which he doesn't is totally just, different. To say that it's a, a different world is an understatement. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And look, I mean, even one one seat would still keep us one seat away, but. 
you know, maybe like maybe Joe Biden like uh, nominates Susan Collins for something, and then uh, we get to fill that seat. Oh, <laughs> mm. you know, so make her cabinet secretary, wow. and then uh, and then we get we get Sarah Gideon after all. Oh and, wow, and then, I but, I like how you think. Very cagey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very, yeah I'll okay. do anything. At this all right, point. <laughs> let's just talk briefly about the Lincoln Project. I'm sure you get asked about them <laughs> all the time. They want to build a media empire similar to that of your own media empire. What do you make of that? Who's their exact Uh, audience? Does anyone know? I think, yeah, look, I mean, I have like sort of mixed feelings on them. I'm not, I I don't go immediately to the, like, you know, their grifters who are real Republicans who are just, you know, Mm -hmm. but I also don't necessarily know how effective they were. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because I am very cognizant of the fact that we sort of all play in um, a bubble mm-hmm. and like, I don't know. I mean, there was a, there's another group called the Republican Republican voters against Trump. Uh-huh. And they sort of, you know, they had all these like video testimonials from ex Trump voters and Republicans, and they were spending a bunch of money running those ads in battleground States. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a lot more effective, right? Because, they're trying to give Republican voters or Trump voters a permission structure to say, you know what? These other people voted for Trump too, and now they're voting for Joe Biden. Maybe okay. I should do that too, uh-huh. right? Like that. I think that is actually an effective thing to do in certain certain markets with certain segments of voters, right? right. Some old white people in Arizona, some uh, former Republicans in the wealthy suburbs of Atlanta, right? Like just a few people here and there, and that that turns you an election. Like the Lincoln Project's seems like their main goal was to get inside Donald Trump's head and troll him. Right. And like, okay, is it great that like Donald Trump got really pissed off by a couple of Lincoln project ads that he saw? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's worth a, you know, a couple Donald Trump freakouts that keep him off message, but mm-hmm. he sort of he sort of does a good job keeping himself off message on his own. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the value is, but I do I do think it's made up of people who genuinely hate not only Donald Trump, but the Republican Party as it is right now, what the Republican Party's become. So, like, good for them for trying. I just, I'm I'm unclear on the effectiveness of their project. Yeah, I am unclear on the effectiveness. I sometimes wonder if I just take a step back. I get asked a lot about the role that, like, my show plays in the world. And I'm like, it doesn't play a role in the world. (laughs) I mean, it's fun to watch, but it doesn't change people's minds about things. And sometimes that's not that's not the point. The point is more catharsis. And sometimes you, you know, you just want to like release your attention and you want to see all of this hypocrisy in the form of a fun video. And it doesn't do much more than that. And so maybe that is the role that it played. I guess it'll all kind of shake out or maybe, maybe nobody cares and they could just start another media empire. And then it's just all empires. I mean, look, I think catharsis is important. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like we yeah. we do catharsis sure. too, you know. But I also, I mean, you guys have like encouraged people to vote and encouraged people to get involved, right? right? Nobody, and like that nobody is, listens to that part, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I mean, we, that was that was I mean, when we started Crooked. I mean, this is like why we did Vote Safe America too, is because I, I was very cognizant that we, it's not like we were going to be reaching a bunch of Trump voters and trying right. to persuade them. Right. But I was like, okay, we have a group of. Uh, either people who've been energized liberals forever or people who are just new to politics since Donald Trump was elected because now they're scared. And either way, giving people something to do yes. 
giving them like an you know an outlet for their mm-hmm. anxiety uh, that's productive I think could be useful you I know do. and I do think I think if you are not only sort of feeding the bubble that everyone's in but also saying okay well here's how to change things then you know you're doing the best you can do yeah i do admire your action items we try to do i try to do action items too because you know ultimately like you can laugh and you can come together and you can like blow off steam but it is nice sort of at the end to have a little punctuation mark where you're like well you can also put your anger in this place like you could just buy some stamps they're not terribly expensive. <laughs> like, they're just a thing you can do. It's kind of a low lift. You can buy them at the drugstore. Um, there are simple <laughs> things along the way. Sometimes if you write a postcard, that means something, too. It means more than people think, these things, these small gestures. Yes. What advice do you have to new young staffers entering the White House in this new administration besides like Clorox wipes, like (laughs) get, you're going to need a spray bottle. You have some cleaning to do. There's cleanup. There's definite cleanup, but how, how, how can they be in there and just refresh it with a a new energy? Like I just, it's hard. Sage that place. (laughs) Sage it. I think you have to, my experience was that the, the campaign and the White House were both, you know, more work than I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. But the campaign had so many of these really fun moments, right? Because right. you win the primary and then you win the general and there's like a poetry to campaigning. And the White House, <laughs> partly because we took office in the middle of a financial crisis, yes. um, wow. was fucking brutal every single day. And you're in a foxhole and it is tough and you're getting criticized all the time mm-hmm. and it, it like it's just a, it's a grind mm-hmm. and I think you have to sort of step back and find moments to enjoy what you're doing like see what you're doing in the larger context of things okay um, like I remember when the ACA passed um, Obama invited it was like a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon Sunday night and he sent word out like everyone come back to the white house even if you're not working right now because we all want to celebrate this and we watched the vote in the house and everyone celebrated and then he invited the whole staff Mm -hmm. to the residence up on the truman balcony had drinks for everyone and you know he said this is a better night than when i won in 2008 because when i won that was just the chance to make change. And this is actually wow. the change that we talked about. Wow. And I, I think for all the young staffers, like, you know, even if you don't have legislative victories that big because Mitch McConnell is a fucking monster and stops yeah. them all, uh-huh. there are going to be wins. There are going to be, whether it's damage that you undo from Donald Trump, whether it's an executive action, whether it's just a lot of stuff that you do in the White House is symbolic. And that's important too. Like, you should really cherish those small victories because they sort of give you the fuel to keep going. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's really yeah. great. That's a very hopeful message. I love that. You know, it's it's, it's the end of 2020. I got to get off or something. Oh, yeah. It's been a rough year. It has. Okay, <laughs> this is my last question for you. So this is sure. a, this is a nice one too. We're going to we're going to end it on an upswing even though we're in the that. middle of this continuing chaos. Okay, do you have any hot cabinet predictions or hopes or <laughs> dreams you want to share? Oh, no, I don't. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Bye, everyone. (laughs) I mean, it's 
here's the here's the what's what's tough about the cabinet is you like a lot of the figures that we know mm-hmm. um and love are in the senate and it's tough to take anyone out of the senate yes. it's really tough to take anyone out of the house right now right but I do feel like, you know, he just, uh, Biden just named Ron Klain his chief of staff. Yeah. Ron, I have worked with a lot in the past. I went through debate prep with him mm-hmm. for Obama and got to know him really well then. He is just a wonderful person. He has good relationships with sort of far left progressives all the way to, you know, more centrist Democrats. Mm-hmm. He listens well. And I do think between Biden and Ron and uh, like a lot of the other people running the transition, like they are, at least they have said this, and I do believe it, are legitimately committed to making sure that the cabinet looks like America, that they hire a a staff that is diverse and qualified. Like, they know what they're doing because they've been in government before, which is good because they have a lot of experienced people at the ready. Mm -hmm. So I am, I was saying this to our staff today, I'm going to try to take myself out of the focus on individuals and like you know the media loves to just sort of like focus on the character of people who are who are coming into government and it's always like a fight but whether you know but a lot of these people that he'll name have long records of progressive accomplishment right like lael brainerd is not someone that everyone knows who she is right Mm -hmm. she is on the fed right now she's been in dc a long time and i think people didn't know what kind of a uh, what she'd be like when she was on the Fed. She's turned out to be a really progressive force mm-hmm. on the Federal Reserve. And she's like number one for Treasury, perhaps. Now, I don't know if he goes with her or not, but like it's going to be a name that doesn't necessarily excite a bunch of people. Right. But suddenly we have someone who was very progressive on the Fed who's now at Treasury, which is an enormous amount of power. And mm-hmm. that's going to be really good. Right. So I would encourage people when he names people to the cabinet to not just look at the name itself, mm-hmm. but to look at sort of the person's record, their policies, what they stand for. And, you know, know that because it's Joe Biden and he campaigned as like a, a, a healer and a moderate, like you're going to yeah. be disappointed sometimes. But there's a, I, I, I would wager that he has some um, has some picks that are that are pretty progressive and um, and uh, yeah and and will do a great job. Honestly, I'm just so excited that there might be experts there that I just like, that you, that we can I be. I can't yeah. believe how excited I am for all the dorks. I just so like, many dorks fill it up with dorks. <laughs> I I did not realize how much I missed dorks because <laughs> I. As a speechwriter, I worked with a lot of them in the White House, and they would gunk up your speeches sure. with a lot of dork language. Yep. And poly- and now I look back and I'm like, Aww. I trade that as uh, forget about all forget about all my stupid words. Just right. just put a bunch of policy in here as yeah. long as it's smart. Who cares? Fill it up with science. Oh <laughs> That's yeah, right. that's right. So that's all that matters sexy. at this point. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the bar is low. That's the good news for so. sure. Well, thank you. This was really great. I love talking to you, and I love your work. I love talking to you too. This was so much fun. So I'm glad much we did fun. This. I am glad to kiss that beautiful baby. I will. We can, we're gonna get there. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. <laughs> we that's are. the message. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, Sam. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, I need to squeeze in another quick break here. Okay, we're back. He was so great. That's just what I needed. You know what? This, I know, 
you guys feel this way too. This whole podcast is just a vanity project, so I can feel better about the world. <laughs> oh no, we're admitting it now. <laughs> I was gonna help. <laughs> I was gonna say we should position ourselves to be the friendly competition to Pod Save America. Oh yes, the the <laughs> release the release network. It's like this, this is our podcast. empire. It starts right now. <laughs> I mean, if the Lincoln Project can do it, anyone can do it. Oh, oh we yeah. oh, salty, <laughs> feisty, <laughs> feisty, feisty words. <laughs> okay, that was great. All right, podcast gals, twenty twenty was unpredictable to say the least, and unlike the president, we are so deeply trying to put it behind us. What better way to do that than to look and make some predictions? about the year to come. Look, I know John Favreau didn't want to make predictions, but I'm going to. I'm so bad at prognosticating, <laughs> but hit me with it. I have never been right once. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to project. Sam B, always <laughs> yeah, wrong. I, thought, I was hoping always you were going to project wrong. some confidence. <laughs> Just like, no. these are all going to not come true. Uh-uh. No, they're all never, there's no <laughs> chance. In fact, if I say it, it it's good that I'll say something okay. really bad and then the opposite okay. will happen. <laughs> I make the future with my bad predictions. So this first question is, and I, it, I feel like it's tougher okay. than it sounds. What happens Uh-oh. first? Mitch McConnell's hands fall off or Donald Trump goes to jail? <laughs> <laughs> Mitch McConnell's hands will fall off before Donald Trump goes to jail. Wow. His hands might fall off even before this episode airs. <laughs> That's how imminent it is. They're just hanging on there like, like a like a little tiny baby tooth hangs on by a little. He just root. needs to tie it to a doorknob. And then... They're swollen. He just needs to try to oh, open God. a doorknob. You know, one of the things that, and I know you guys, neither of you are in this place yet, and it's wonderful for you, and I'm happy for you because you're not old or in your fifties like me, but your skin starts to really change. Like when you turn 50, your skin gets so thin, like overnight you wake up and you brush against a door and you're bleeding. (laughs) You're like, what? I don't even do anything. And I have a bruise over here because I got gently brushed by an egg or like everything starts to get really thin and weird. And I do remember, because I was very close with my granddad, and he lived, he was very old when he died. We were very close. He died when he was like 96. And I used to get so mad at him because he was bleeding all the time. And I'd be like, oh, you're bleeding all over. Why are you bleeding? And he'd be like, I brushed against a napkin. And now that's me. And that's so... It's the one thing that I look at Mitch McConnell and I go, there, but for the grace of God, I. I'll have those purple hands one day and I just hopefully won't be photographed. So they'll fall off. Though. We just photograph no. you from the hand up. Do it because these hands are not great. And on the best of days, in, in every photo that's ever been taken of me, they're photoshopped. You know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I forgot for the yeah. our first dinner's ad campaign. The what? photo was you. Your hands someone were very prominent. Hands. What's wrong and, with your hands? And they put There's in nothing. someone else's. They put in someone else's in every photo what? of me that's professionally retouched, <laughs> which is like every photo of every woman. Because I have like smallish, not like Trump small, like they're proportionate to my body, but they're kind of wrinkly and they have like 
I don't know, freckles and age spots. On. So, and I don't have long <laughs> nails because I like bite my nails and I kind of like fiddle with them and stuff. So they're not like great hands. They're not like, oh, put those on camera. Yeah, they're they're hands for radio. They're radio <laughs> hands. <laughs> and they're always like, they were the, they're just like, get these <laughs> off. Get remove these. They can't like smooth them out. They just go like get no. We'll just replace wow. them. All right. Do you think Jared and Ivanka will be welcomed back into New York society? Well, I do actually, and that's oh, unfortunate. really? Yeah. No. Well, uh, so yeah. bullish for so that's, them. That's really Sorry. where I want them to I'm suffer. Bullish. I I do too. I definitely do. But like, it, it's very hopeful to not understand the reality of like that world which is that not only does everyone just generally have the attention span of a goldfish but that world yeah. operates so differently like dinner parties and parties and those kinds of things are just like a collection of like misfit toy as long as they're all rich they're all fine with each mm -hmm. other like i swear to god it, it's not going to be a it'll be like an issue for some things and definitely like alan dershowitz isn't invited to a lot of parties <laughs> on martha's vineyard this we know he's just trying to make us think though that he ever was <laughs> that's a very strong possibility like so maybe there won't be like a met ball mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. But there will be like other outlets that are like, oh, this is our cup. That was like that was like six yeah. months ago. <laughs> They're very good at a party. Everyone wants to talk to them, and there's a lot of secret Trump voters here. This is why I don't go to parties. There is no doubt in my mind that they'll be accepted back into into socialite quarters. No doubt. When there is eventually uh -oh. a COVID vaccine, which now it sounds like it's more possible than not. How many people mm -hmm. do you think will refuse to take it? What an interesting question. I don't know. I actually really don't know. And for the first time ever, I was faced with, you know, like when you face a moral mm -hmm. quandary occasionally? <laughs> sure. It never occurred to me that, like, occasionally. <laughs> I mean, I would take the vaccine. I think anyone who is listening to science, if the science is correct, would take the vaccine. It just makes a lot of sense. But then I... The question was like posed, shouldn't we be vaccinating the people who are the most mm. dangerous? Like, shouldn't we be vaccinating the people who won't wear right. masks? Because they're the ones who are out there not wearing masks. And that actually would really like cover for a lot for everybody else who's masking. So we should actually get the worst <laughs> offenders first. Get them. So just stick white them men, with that. White men in their fifties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're the only I'm telling they're the only ones in New York City yeah. who are on masks. I see them everywhere. And I'm like, guys, come and get your fellas and stick a mask on them. But like that I never really considered that before, but of course that would probably solve a lot of problems if we just Shot up all the people who insist on having indoor parties with the vaccine. Yeah, <laughs> Anyways, just shoot them up with whatever. <laughs> with whatever. I don't. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. There's so many conspiracy theorists, and I guess a cool thirty-five percent of people, I would guess, wow. won't get the vaccine. Yeah, I think you're right. That's just. That's a wild. That's a Sam B shot in the dark. <laughs> Solid number. Yeah. It feels. It feels real though. Like they're I gonna. Think we should. Yeah, revisit that one. Yeah, we should. Oh wow. I. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I hope it's less. Yeah, but I. I. It's probably. I probably undershot it. It's 
probably more like <laughs> actually 62% of people wouldn't take the vaccine. <laughs> great. <laughs> great. All right. Okay. I don't know why I'm obsessed with the children, but mm-hmm. do you think Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle will stay together? No, mm-hmm. I don't. Final answer. Don't. <laughs> that's, my, that's my final answer. They're not going to stay together. <laughs> And she's going to write a book. And I'd be shocked if she wasn't already, like if she wasn't already writing the book, I'd be shocked. I that's I mean, that's a Sam B guarantee. <laughs> Is Rudy Giuliani still at the Four Seasons Total Landscaping or has he found his way home? <laughs> it's the most joyful thing. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful that that happened. And I sometimes... I'm still, and it's days, like a week later, and I'm still smiling that they messed that up so completely, so spectacularly, and that like Washington Post reporters were dispatched to go to the Four Seasons and had to like go, wait, which Four Seasons what? And had to turn their cars around to drive the to one the next to the fringes. Sex <laughs> what? Where is that in film? I mean, I know the sex job, but okay. Yeah, that will never not it's have happened. Like, that will be <laughs> a moment in history. It's just such a beautiful, like, it's not going to make it into the history books because it's just like a small, wonderful <laughs> detail. But they must have been so angry. Can you imagine, like, listen, I... It, I think I'll only bad things about Jared Kushner, but can you imagine like when he found out, he must have been like, guys, what the fuck? You gotta clear this stuff with okay, me. Okay, let's spin this. Let's spin this. How can we turn this into a good thing? Uh, how can we turn this? What are we gonna? What's the Who message has here? Tape? <laughs> oh lordy! Oh, it's so amazing that. Human being, why is he still? Why do we still have to say his name? I don't want to talk about him anymore. Go away. Hope he's still wandering around. Go wander, shuffle off to Buffalo. Did Buffalo doesn't want you? I feel like you've used that phrase a few yeah. times. Stop besmirching Buffalo. Episodes. Oh, I have. And neither I'm of us sorry. know what it means. I'm besmirching. Really a Buff- huge Buffalo. Buffalo is just a big. <laughs> It's just a big part of my life. I grew up. That's was my Canadian cross border point of oh. reference. Like go everywhere. I'm going to Buffalo. Was it like a rival? <laughs> a rival city? No. It's where you go to get. Uh, it's where you go to get cheap uh, Ralph Lauren polo shirts with the tags cut. <laughs> it's where you go to get like seconds Ralph Lauren clothing and chicken wings. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. I hope you liked my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release on Apple Podcasts and keep sending us your questions and feedback at fullrelease at sambi.com. We're going to be taking a break for the holidays. I feel like we have earned one, but stay tuned to this feed because we'll be back with some special mailbag episodes where I fail to answer some of your most burning questions. This podcast was produced by Adam Howard and Svea Baron-Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by Hitech. It was edited by the lovely Julia Fott and hosted by me, the not-so-lovely, I'm just joking, Samantha B. Barfalo.
We love Did you just call it Barfalo? <laughs> I did call it Barfalo. <laughs> but Buffalo is great. It's not, a, it's not Barfalo. It's just that we used to call it that. We, <laughs> anyways, we used to have to of the podcast. Really Never. We're cutting the interview and we're running with it. I'm so this. sorry. 